Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. soldiers. I know Gabe got in a car accident this morning, and brother, we're praying for you, and praying your car gets taken care of. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, slick, and it it doesn't seem to be letting up, so let's be praying for uh, for people to have a safe ride home, wherever they're, they're headed. Uh, before we get started today, I want to, um, first of all, we didn't, Braden didn't give us a whole lot of warning, right? <laughs> so we don't have any flowers for Sophie, I don't believe. Unless someone snuck some in. We'll bring Sophie some flowers next week, but we want to say congratulations. And and now you can can use the word fiancé all the time, (laughs) which is one of the worst words. It just doesn't, just does not come out of the mouth right, no matter what. So I always just said, when I was dating, or when Eve and I were engaged, this is the person I'm engaged to. (laughs) Rather than fiancé, because fiancé never sounded right coming out. Uh, But man, congrats. We're excited for you. Um, Another uh, important announcement that we need to make, um, I've I've put this announcement off because it's it's an announcement that's a little less exciting for me, but... uh, so uh, some of you are aware, some of, some of you may know, uh, others of you don't, that, that James uh, McKelvey's father has been uh, sick in and out of the hospital, and he is in need of, of help. He's in need of help. And so James and Janina have prayed and have made the, the very hard decision uh, to sell their house and move back uh, to Tampa, where James, that area is where James is from uh, growing up. And, and so... We're, we're glad that Mark gets you, Mark Schaefer gets you guys, and that you're going to be plugged in there, and, and hopefully you're going to be used to establish FOI even, even more than what they've already seen. Um, but we're going to miss you a, a ton, and, and we've probably got you know, another month or two with you guys, but, but we just want to acknowledge, so it's out in the open, that, that James and Janina um, are, are leaving us, and we need to be praying for them and lifting them up uh, that God would make the, the transition um, between uh, here and Tampa uh, good, successful, um, and that they would, get, they would get plugged in and that God would use them. Uh, so this is, this is our loss, but also a victory for the ministry in Tampa, and, and, God, um, and God has a better plan than we do. And so we want to thank him for that. So we love you guys, and we want to just acknowledge you real quick with a, a round of applause, just that we love you so much. <laughs> Um, but we are going to study God's word today. So you need your Bibles. Get them out. Be ready. We are headed back to Acts, my friends. Back to Acts. Um, now, so as, as most of you know, we took a, a three-month hiatus from the book of Acts to be uh, in Jonah. Uh, because I, I, I believe we needed it. And, and you know, uh, in retrospect, I think it was the right call. 
Um, now, what we needed from Jonah, ultimately, and we talked about this, like week after week, just hearing about how awful a human being Jonah was and being reminded of how awful a human being we are, uh, when we got to the very end of the book, the thing that we needed to learn was that we need to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that if we, aren't, if we don't make our life's endeavor to know him intimately, Right? That our heart would beat to the rhythm of his heart. If we don't make that our life's endeavor, well, it's only natural that we are going to fall out of the will of God. And we're going to find ourselves thinking and living in a way that's in complete contradiction to who he is and who is, what his character is. And that's what we learned from Jonah, is that we need to know Jesus Christ. And I'm, I'm really thankful for, for Dan's message this morning because it continues to affirm that, that there is nothing greater than a relationship with Jesus Christ. And everything good in our lives flows from that. And ultimately for the Christian, our identity, who we are, who we acknowledge that we are every morning when we wake up and look in the mirror, for those of us who do that. Some of us don't. Probably need to get in a better habit of looking in the, in the mirror. Um, but for those of us who look in the mirror every day, we should, see, we should be able to say to ourselves, I am the son or I am the daughter of Jesus Christ. And his will is my will. And his way is my way. And I will follow him and I will love him and I will know him today. Right? That's, that's, that's what we're getting at. Now here's the thing about an identity. Is that identity, you can actually, you can lose your identity. Right? You can lose your identity. And in fact, people can rob you of your identity. That's like a real thing. Has anybody ever had their identity stolen? Sam Miles. So I applied for university. Oh man, dude. So did someone like? Did someone like take out a credit card in your name? Yeah, I got like credit card in three months. So it just happened like this week? It was actually several months ago. Yeah, you should probably do something about it. Thank you, but you you've really. You really helped my illustration this morning. <laughs> okay, so that, but that's the thing about identity is that identity, our identity can be robbed from us. And so just about the, the time that we think that we know God and we're coming into relationship with Jesus Christ and you know, you feel the passion of Christ within you and you, your, your, your mind is set and your, your endeavors are right. About that time, something seems to, to rob you of your identity, things get in the way of you remembering who you were. And it's funny, this happens like on a, just on a day-to-day basis. It's like you go to sleep at night, you, we had the Christmas party, we had such great fellowship, God used you to minister to someone. You go to sleep and the next morning, you're a grouch and everybody hates you. It's like just taking a, a, an eight-hour nap. You've woken up and you've completely forgotten who you are. Or like, have you ever been on a vacation, you get outside of your schedule, and then you come back home, and it takes you several days to bring back in the, the disciplines that you spent years establishing? Just a vacation, right? You're supposed to relax and everything, and you come back, and it's like your identity is, is gone. And, and the same thing is true in our, in our spiritual life, right? So many things can get in the way of our identity. And, and the whole reason that we went to the book of Acts in the very first place is that we would see from the testimony of the apostles 
who it is that we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be finding our identity in God's word, in studying Acts. And yet so many of us on a daily basis forget who we are. And so our message today, since we've spent so much time outside of Acts, is we're going to kind of summarize what Acts has been about. And we're going we're gonna to do the hard work today of rediscovering our identity. Okay? Rediscovering our identity. And I think this is particularly important as we go into mission focus. The reason we're in Acts is that, that we can witness the apostles taking on the same identity that we must be taking on. The perspectives that the apostles adopted... And I say adopted because we watch the, the apostles learning who it is that they're supposed to be, right? It, it isn't so obvious in Acts chapter 1, if you remember. It isn't so obvious in Acts chapter 2, right? They're, they slowly adopt who it is that they're supposed to be, and we too are supposed to be adopting those perspectives as we see their testimonies. The objectives that the early believers had in mind are the same objectives that we should have, and the same objectives that should inform our reality in 2020, in Kansas City. And, and we, should, we should, as we study the book of Acts, it shouldn't actually feel like 2,000 years ago. Their reality should be our reality. Now, while the works and the giftings and the doctrines look different than our own, the concepts and the passions are absolutely the same. And for that reason, we must prepare our hearts to receive what Acts has to offer us. And I think if, if we can look back and we can just assess for a moment, when we think about the last year, I think about when we started Acts. It's been about a year and four months ago. When we first started Acts, God has taken us on a pretty long journey. And our ministry has changed since when we started Acts. I believe that the missions model that we see in Acts actually be, started to become our own. And God began to use us to be evangelical in a new way on our campuses, in our workplaces. And it seemed like week after week after week, I've heard about people who've accepted Jesus Christ. Or, or people saying, I started a Bible study with a co-worker. Or I started a Bible study with a classmate. Or so-and-so started coming to our Bible study. Or our Bible study in the last few months has gone from four people to ten. Because I believe that what we were reading in, in Acts was infectious. But what I want to communicate to you this morning is that, that we should not be satisfied with the changes and the growth that we've seen. We should not be satisfied with that. Because if we grow satisfied, then we are in danger of losing our identity. Our satisfaction, our comfort, our, our, our being well-pleased can get us to a place of complacency very, very easy. You know, Kaya can be a comfortable place to be. It can be. Once you find your niche in your ministry place and you find your friend group or your peer group, you find people that you're really close to, God starts using you a little bit, 
it's really easy for you to find your niche and become very, very comfortable here in Kyle. Even though on the surface, we would say, or most people looking from the outside in, is that that's not a comfortable place to be. God's at work there. That's, that's awesome. That's exciting. And it must be hard work. And it must be difficult. But the truth is, it can actually, when you're with your peers, it can actually be a really comfortable place. Kai is big enough now where people can come and they can enjoy hiding. Not having too much attention put on them. Not, not having too much accountability. A person can come into our ministry, right? And they can slip in. And, I, and I'm so thankful that, that Alex is always reminding us to meet new people. But people can slip in and slip out. And that ought not be. People can enjoy the friendship, the community, with none of the challenges of true biblical community. None of the challenges of, of, of a, a true biblical ministry. They can, it's a, we're at a place now where people can do that. They can be convinced that God is doing something in their life simply because they're here. And if the book of, book of Acts has taught us anything, it has taught us that Christianity does not support creature comforts. Christianity is a belief system that celebrates in suffering and begs for battle. And we, can, we cannot forget that. Kaya must strive to be a, a diverse ministry of countercultural, Bible-believing, unified brothers and sisters willing to live out the Great Commission. And if any of those components are not there, we will grow complacent and we will fail to do the thing that God has called us to. So today we're going to talk about who Kaya should be. And going into Acts, uh, chapter 13... And going into mission focus, I think it's a very relevant moment for, for us to reassess what our ministry model really is. So let's pray, and then we'll discuss it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for, for Lord, I, you're, so, you're so smart, and your sovereignty is so great. That, like, I think in some regards, the snow has kept some of our, our baby Christians from being here this morning and, and so I know that the people that are here today are serious about hearing your word and, and so as I, as I recast this vision that is truly for those people in our ministry who are being discipled and, and, and they need to be reminded of what it means to lead and so God I pray that you would impress upon those that are here this morning Lord what you've, what you've called us to, why we are in this ministry that we refer to as Kaya, what it is that we're doing, what is our part, what is our mission focus. Lord, help us this morning. Reveal to us your truth. Cause us to love you more deeply. And Lord, help us to see our debt. Help us to see just how much we owe you. And not out of obligation but because you want us with your love and we're your bride. And for that, we owe you everything. So help us in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So who should we be? Who should we be? That's the question on the floor today. And the first and the foremost thing that we should address is that we must be a ministry of prayer. And, and so the things that you hear today are going to sound familiar. Okay, they're going to sound familiar, but that does not mean you should shut off. Because I think 
all of us are in danger of forgetting this. We need to be a ministry of prayer. We want to pray all the time, and not just prayers of well-being, which is, which is the trap of prayer, isn't it? A lot, of us, a lot of us practice prayer, but we practice prayer that is unintentionally selfish. Where we, we spend a lot of time praying for ourselves and for others, but a lot of those prayers revolve around well-being. Those prayers aren't bad. Those prayers are good, but a person who prays without ceasing is a person who makes a habit of praying prayers of well-being, but praying prayers first and foremost of the kingdom. A person who is more concerned with God's things than our things. Now when we see the apostles praying, we find that they, that they pray constantly. It's, it's ongoing. There are 19 accounts of prayer in the book of Acts. Now, three quarters of those prayers that are being made are corporate or communal prayers. So what does that tell us? That tells us that as a ministry, one of our primary functions should be to pray. Now, let's talk about that in terms of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we know that the apostles get their marching orders. Acts 1.8 says, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so what he's saying is, hey, I'm going to send you the power to do a mission. And what you're going to be responsible for is winning the whole world, conveying to everyone in the world just how powerful it is to have a relationship with me, the Son of God. That's the work. Now, what is it that they immediately do? We look down in verse 12. They returned, uh, then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day, Sabbath day journey. And when they were come in, they went up <coughs> into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, Zelotes and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, Jesus, and with his brethren. So they got their marching orders, and the very first thing that they do is they go find a place where the brethren can be gathered and they pray. You guys remember that, right? That's what they do. Why? Because they recognize that they can't do anything without the power of God. In the following chapter, the power of God comes upon them and they begin to preach. And 3,000 people were saved. That's we would refer to that, I think, because none of us in this room have ever experienced that type of salvation. 3,000 people getting saved in one day. I think we would refer to that as victory. Would we not? We would refer to that as blessing. Now, what did they do in the face of blessing? What did they do in the face of blessing? When God came through, when God gave them a harvest, you know what we do? I think we oftentimes, we revel in it. I mean, I think as a ministry, we have also seen God's blessing. Like, I don't think 
God doubling our ministry in a year is something that we can revel in. That's an exciting work. That's an amazing thing that God did. But here's the deal. Followers of Jesus Christ don't spend time celebrating the victories, patting themselves on the back, reveling in what they were a part of. They turn to Christ in prayer. And they celebrate there from a place of desperation, knowing that beyond a shadow of a doubt, God is not done. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. It is interesting that, that prayers always precede blessings. We want this type of prayer in our ministry. So that, so that whether we're in a season of blessing or we're in a season of hardship, like the one that we've really just come from, we've just come from a season of pruning. And I, and I, I want to believe that, that, that that season of pruning is done. I, I want to believe that. I want to believe that everybody that's here with us is moving forward in faith. And, and I want to I believe that we're all still praying for those of us who we've seemed to have lost in the last season of ministry. It's like, as we've seen growth at the exact same time, we've seen people who just weren't willing to count the cost, and that happens. And it can be really discouraging, and it can be frustrating, and it can be devastating, and it can take our eyes off of the mission. It can help us to doubt. It can, it can, it can lead us to dread. And what it should do is it should drive us to prayer, because God is not done with this ministry. We want God's growth. We want God's timing. We want God's divine appointments. We want God's words. We want God's wisdom. So what should we do? Pray. Because none of those things that I just listed are possible in the flesh. You cannot make ministry happen. You cannot force yourself into the lives of people who are lost. You will do, do great harm to the mission if you do it in your power. We can't work harder for the fruit. And, and, I, and I really honestly believe, because I, I see it true in my life, when the blessing comes, I think I get excited. And then I begin to work in my flesh thinking that I'm the one that actually brought the harvest. I begin to reap as though I'm the one who caused the harvest to grow. No, if we want God's way, we have to pray. And we work hard because God's harvest demands it. We don't work hard to make the harvest. We work hard. We sweat we bleed because the harvest itself demands it because God has already gone before us. So what are we going to do as a ministry? What are we going to do? We're going to pray. What does that look like? That means in Bible study, prayer has to be a priority. Prayer has to be a priority. 
Every time you gather, you should be praying. That means that those of you who are being discipled right now, it means that you need to recognize that the Tuesday night prayer meeting is not an optional time. Now, I say that knowing that there are some people who can't make it to the prayer meeting. You've got school, you've got classes this semester. Maybe you've got a class that was only offered on Tuesday night. You had no choice. Look, we're not talking about that. We get that. But for those of us who desire God's way in our ministry, for his hand of blessing, we recognize that the Tuesday night prayer meeting is a crucial time. And beyond that, we've decided. Listen, I believe that much of the fruit that has been wrought in the midst of Kaya comes because of the prayers that have been prayed at the prayer after prayer time in the summers. So in the summertime, we've committed ourselves to praying for souls specifically. And so after we break from the prayer meeting, we go and hide away upstairs <laughs> for 15 minutes and we pray for souls. And man, that time has been so sweet in that hot, sweaty, packed room where everybody's like, people are sitting on the stairs and they're, and they're there because they're praying for souls. And then what happens is the school year starts and we go about the work of harvesting. Well, after talking about this, I recognize that what we need is we need prayer after prayer all the time. We need Andrew lists constantly in our life. These aren't seasonal things. This is a serious work. And so starting January 14th, uh, we're going we're gonna to start the, tu uh, the Tuesday night prayer after prayer meeting again, 15 minutes after prayer. Go up, pray for souls. Go cry and weep for the things that God cries and weeps about. And watch what God does. When we determine that, the, that we're going to be a ministry of prayer. Second, we need to be a ministry of preparation. Now, as you can see, we're going we're gonna to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about preparation. We're going to talk about what? Yeah. Giving and going. Big surprise. And that's because I'm not creative. Okay? No, it's because it's what Acts is about. That's what Acts is about. And so we must be, Kaya must be a ministry of preparation. And by prepared, we mean always ready for the next stage of our spiritual development and investment. Now listen to me. Personal growth, personal preparation always comes one of two ways. It always comes one of two ways. You know, sometimes being prepared isn't always easy. I remember when I was in high school. I don't know why I thought about this. But I, I, you guys, I play basketball. I, I don't know if you can tell. I was a basketball player. Right? Um, in high school, there's all, in basketball, there's always the guy that makes the team, mainly because he's tall. That wasn't me, obviously. Uh, but there's always a guy on the basketball team. Like, I'm sure McKenzie was constantly being recruited for the girls' basketball team because she's tall, right? But <clears throat> she, played, she played volleyball. That's what she should. Uh, but there's always guys that are being recruited for basketball who are, who are tall, but they have absolutely no skill. Yeah. And the coach is always convinced, and it rarely works, but the coach is always convinced that they can teach them some hand-eye coordination. There was a guy on our basketball team who was one of those guys. He was like, 
this is sophomore year. I don't think he played beyond that. But sophomore year, I think he was like 6'5", 6'6", something like that. And, <clears throat> and so I remember one day we're running, we're running drills. We're, we're, we're like, it's a soft uh, scrimmage, right? And so you practice all the plays that you've been learning for weeks. And there's a play where there's a, there's a, uh, a pick and roll play, right, where he's supposed to roll to the basket. Now, for a big man that who doesn't have coordination, that's really problematic because you're trying to set up the pick, and then you're quickly, with your big clunky feet, trying to spin around and get cut towards the hoop on a pass. Well, <clears throat> we were running one of these plays, and I throw a, a pass to meet this guy, and it hits him square in the face. <laughs> right? It just hits him right in the face. Well, after that happened, guess what? The ball never hit him in the face again. Because he learned in his suffering. <laughs> he learned in his suffering how to be prepared. Now, now listen. We ought to know and we ought to be fully aware of the fact that suffering in ministry is a crucial tool to our preparedness. We have to embrace that. We have to understand that God uses our circumstances, our difficulties, our trials, that he uses those things to grow us. And so there's a type of, of preparedness that has everything to do with God's sovereign oversight. Things that we can't control, the things that we would never have orchestrated, but God uses to grow us. And a lot of the preparation that we have in our lives, a lot of the preparedness, a lot of the growth comes from experience that he allows. <coughs> And for the apostles, that was no different. In Acts chapter 2, the apostles were mocked. They were mocked. Anybody ever been mocked for your faith? It's not fun. But I want to say this, that mockings are actually the easiest form of suffering for your faith. They're the easiest form. And some of you, the, 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 test, the only testimony that you maybe have of of, of of your walk with Jesus Christ is that you've suffered some mockings. And that's legitimate. And God wants to use those mockings to bring resolve in your life, to teach you to not be a respecter of persons. That's what God wants to do with that. But you know what? The apostles also suffered detention and threatenings. They were locked up. Their, their lives were threatened. In Acts chapter 4, we see that taking place. In Acts chapter 5, they were beat, physically beaten. By Acts chapter 7, Stephen is stoned. Now I want to tell you that there's not very many of you in this room that are going to suffer like that. But, but that doesn't take away the fact that there are things in your life that you have suffered. You've lost family members. You've lost friends. You've endured illness. You've had broken relationships. You've seen your plans come to failure. And all of those things, God is using those things in your life to refine you and prepare you for greater works ahead of you. Now I'll say this. Let's go back to the message that we heard in first service. If your desires are not God's desires, if you don't have relationship with Jesus Christ, if you aren't ambitious as it concerns knowing him, whenever one of those sufferings comes, you will always be tempted to turn and walk away. But it's the person who loves Christ and desires him and knows him intimately, who recognizes that they have no choice 
but to sit in the suffering and let God draw them through it because on the other side, they'll be more prepared. Amen? Amen. And there's a, there's a type of preparedness that looks like that. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. We see it continue on. And Saul was consenting unto death. Right? Before Saul, Paul was... Before Saul was Paul... Before Saul was Paul... That'll never not be confusing, by the way. Before Saul was Paul... His primary responsibility was to sow seeds of division and cause suffering. Because that's the objective of the enemy. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except, except the apostles. The apostles. And by Acts chapter 12, Herod has put to death James and is hunting down all the believers. But what does it say? Okay, they've endured all of that. All of that. They've endured all of that up to Acts chapter 12. But look at verse 24. Of Acts chapter 12. But the word of God grew and multiplied. You know what happened? The suffering prepared them for more. The difficulty, the trials, what it did is it made them turn to God and recognize that he wouldn't allow anything into their lives, any temptation or any trial. He would not allow those things into their lives unless they could handle it, unless they had the faith to endure. And their faith was unwavering in the face of trial, and their faith grew stronger. You know, sometimes we forget <coughs> what it took for the word of God to get to us. Don't we? we man, this side of eternity, we will not know every name that bled and died to carry the word from the east That would have never happened except people determined to let God work in their lives and use it toward their preparation. See, the future of Kaya, the future of this ministry depends on what you learn in the midst of stretching, in the midst of odd, gray, and sometimes difficult circumstances. What does God show you? And how is he using it to make you a leader so that you can take the word of God to someone else. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That's what temptation does. That's what trial does. It refines you. Now there's another type of preparation. And it's one of choice. It's one of free will. It's the one that you make when you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror. Today, I will choose to be prepared. And so much of our growth is related to the decisions 
that we make every day. The decisions that we, we make to center ourselves in a path of growth. Doing what we know is required. You know, so much of our personal development is contingent on our daily decisions. I wake up and I say to myself, I need to eat breakfast if I don't want to be hungry at 10.30. And I make a decision to make scrambled eggs, which is my go-to. I like the scrambled eggs. Didn't always like it, but my palate has been refined by many, many choices. Okay? I want to go to college because I want to have this career. Like, we know cause and effect. We learned it, I think we learned it, and I remember learning cause and effect in first grade. If you do this thing, then this thing is supposed to happen. Now listen to me, brothers and sisters, the same thing is true in our faith. There's a way of positioning yourself for growth. And you've got to be determined. You have to know that as a pattern in Scripture, and a pattern in the experiences and the observations of the people around you, that if you set yourself in a particular path and you head that direction at the pace that you can handle, then you will end up somewhere. And you will be more prepared for it. The believers in the book of Acts made the decision to surrender themselves to the study of God's word. Why? Because they wanted to be prepared. In Acts chapter 2, verse 40, it says, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from, the, uh, from this untoward generation. That's Peter's preaching. Verse 41, Then they gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And listen, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. The study of God's word was a crucial component even for believers who had just gotten saved. They didn't waste any time. They opened the book and they learned. They learned the doctrines. They learned them. The early believers, they gathered, they studied. And it's the responsibility of the church to prepare these people to understand God's word. That's, that's the job of MBT, is to prepare you for the work that lays ahead. This was true also in the model church of Antioch that we learned about in Acts chapter 11. Then tidings, verse 22, then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all with, with, uh, uh, all with purpose of heart. They would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And, and, and we know this. But when we say that they gathered themselves together, they met every single day for a year. Because that's what that meant in the Bible. Believers met every day in the early church. And they gathered at the feet of Saul, and they gathered at the feet of Barnabas, and he taught, they taught them. They taught them, and they taught them, and they taught them. Now listen to me. Did you know that these believers, they generally gathered in the morning? Because believers knew that to have a good testimony in the workplace, they had to be at work early, and they had to stay at work late. It was a crucial part of their life, was work. Many of these people were slaves. They were servants, and they were obligated to work nonstop. So what they did is they gathered super early in the morning, before the sun rose, and they opened God's word. 
Now, how many of you in this room recognize that your need to grow is so great that you cannot help but to wake up before the dawn to study the book before your day begins? You know that you really can't get anything done until you've met with the Lord. That's a decision that you make to put yourself in the path. You have to be prepared. You have to choose preparedness. If you want to learn God's word and how it applies to your lives, then you've got to make some decisions. And how does Kaya prepare? <coughs> well, first of all, it's the daily devotion that we just spoke of. But also, you know what? We need teachers. Just like the church in Antioch needed Saul, we need teachers. And so we have something we call discipleship one. We call it biblical discipleship. And people sign up. Sounds a lot like a program in that way. It's not. And what you do is you give your life in submission to a teacher. And you sit at their feet and you walk through life. And this person is an advocate for you. They go to the Lord on your behalf. They counsel you through difficult times. They spend their quiet time praying for you and yearning for you. And they teach you. And they teach you precepts. Why? So that you might be prepared. So that you might be prepared. So when someone asks you of the joy within you, that you can give a proper response. That's why we do discipleship. That's why we do D2. And for those of you who are ready, it's time for LFBI. And enrollment is open. Apply now. And you can, by the way, you can take LFBI classes now while you're in D2. We recommend it be semester, semester two of D2. But you can take the uh, LFBI classes while you're in D2, which is cool for those of you who can handle that timeline. But that, that's what this is about. We don't, look, trust me, uh, now that I'm heavily involved in LFBI, we're not doing that for fun. I mean, I think $40 a credit hour proves to you that we have nothing to gain from that. We're not trying to prey on you. We're not trying to raise up some sort of monument to ourselves. We are trying to prepare you so that whatever the next phase of life is, you'll be ready to go there. So decide. So decide. Third, Kaya must be a giving ministry. A giving ministry. You know, <laughs> you know, it's funny that giving is such a hard thing to talk, talk about. But as a topic in studying Acts, it's interwoven to, into everything. Remember in Acts chapter 2 when 3,000 people were saved? We just talked about that. Well, when they gathered together, one of the first things that they did was give. Acts 2.42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. From the abundance of their heart they gave to ensure that every person was taken care of. Reminds me of the orphan fund that we just did. Right? Because we recognize a need to provide for the least of these, those who are struggling, our brothers and sisters who need our help. 
we come to their aid. And giving becomes easy because we, we love one another. It becomes easy. The testimony in Acts 4 was that the people gave to the point where the money that they brought in was so onerous that the, the, the apostles didn't have time to deal with it. And so they, they started the office of deacon in Acts chapter 6. So the man, they would have managers over the financial issues of the church because, they gave, because the people gave. They gave. By the time we're in Acts chapter 11, giving is a part of the culture so much so that the church of Antioch, the baby church, that was just started, where the people were just getting discipled, gave to Jerusalem because there was a drought to the mother church. And I, I, I remember, I, I told you, that would be like Living Faith Lee Summit, seeing that Midtown Baptist Temple had a need, and everyone in the church taking a collection to provide for the needs of us. How beautiful is that? What an amazing concept that people would be so selfless to give in that way. Throughout Acts and throughout Scripture, giving is a crucial part of the function of the church and supports the work of ministry at home and abroad. This is, for me, is, is most convicting and most exemplified in the testimony of the Philippians. Right? The church that Paul ministered to. And it was a fairly impoverished church in, in, in Philippi. They didn't have a lot of resources, and they didn't have a lot of money. But Paul talks about them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, to the Corinthians, which was a wealthy church, by the way. He says this in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, meaning the, the church in Philippi, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. That even when they had every excuse not to give, they did. And as a ministry of young people, this isn't ever going to be the most giving ministry in our church. This fellowship is just not the most wealthy group of individuals. But that does not change the fact. So a few of you like, amen. <laughs> you said that very painfully. <laughs> but listen to me. That does not change the fact that we are obligated and constrained by the Holy Spirit and by the testimony of the word that we are to give in every regard to the point that it hurts. Now, I want to say this. We don't think about this. We don't ever talk about it. And you won't ever hear Sam ever say it. But you know what? This building right here, you know what it costs to rent on an annual basis? It's something like $24,000. Guess who enjoys it the most? Guess who enjoys this space the most? Of any of the fellowships in our church, who enjoys it the most? Now, you want to know something? The bulk of the sacrifice to put us in this room comes from everyone outside of Kaya. That should humble us. Now listen, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if we're going to get this building down here. Some of you have heard about it. We've been praying about it. I don't know if we're going to get this grocery store. I don't know if that's how it's going to work. I don't know if God is going to provide something else. I know this, that in time, God will provide. But listen to me. When the trigger is pulled and God's confirmation is done, and we find ourselves in a new space that we have space to grow, a place where maybe we could play basketball on the weekends, where we could hang out on Fridays, 
with a full kitchen that we can use. Like, wouldn't that be awesome for our ministry? Wouldn't that be great if we could facilitate a ping pong tournament in our space? <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. When I say that, I mean international student ministry. <laughs> That's what that means, because I know this. Most of the Americans suck at ping pong. There's <laughs> no but wouldn't that be amazing if we could do that? Now listen to me. If that ever happens, if that dream, if that desire ever comes into fruition, it will benefit our ministry, our growing ministry, more than any other ministry. And our perspective should be that I own this ministry. And my wallet belongs to the Lord. My bank account is God's. Why? Because I desire souls more than I desire to own a house. I desire precious stones more than a new entertainment system. And that we are provoked to do the hard thing of giving. I, listen, it's funny to me. We've got believers in the book of Acts who are laying down their lives for the word. And doing this is, pain, is, the, is the most painful form of suffering. Is the giving. It's shocking. It's shocking. Listen to me. I want you to know something. We are so soft. That for many of us when we talk about suffering... We're talking about difficult decisions for Christ. We're talk, we talk about it in terms of, well, I had to take this job instead of that job. It pays 10000 less, but I get to be here on Sunday. So get the heck out of here. That's not suffering. That is reasonable. Because the mission is that great. And everything you have belongs to God already. So chew on that. Ultimately, we must be Kaya. We might be the poorest ministry. But we ought to be the givenest ministry. We ought to give everything that we have. And that means financial too. And some of you don't yet support missions abroad. And when we talk about giving, we're talking about, we're talking about giving the tithe, of course, we're talking about sacrificial giving, and we're talking about consistent offerings that you make to those people just like Paul who decide to go out from this body and do the hard work. And if you don't support missionaries yet, if you don't say that, hey, every month I'm going to give this X amount, this is what I can afford to support this work here in this place, then it's something worth considering. Why? Well, because it's the testimony that we see in Scripture. It's what we see in the Bible. And we ought to strive to be like those who are faithful in the scriptures. Last but not least, we must be a going ministry. And some might say that the primary focus of the narrative of Acts is going. Like that's the main thing that we talk about in Acts. And I think that would be a fair assessment. Telling the story of how the apostles went. And by going, what do we mean? We mean... Moving your body somewhere to preach. Moving your body somewhere. 
so that you can open your mouth and speak God's words, so you can teach the gospel of God, which is what we found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Right? It says, Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. In Acts, we see the apostles preaching in the streets of their community to, to groups of hundreds, to groups of thousands. Anybody preach before groups of hundreds or thousands? Some of us have. Some of us have. But they also minister to small groups of people at the temple. Or Cornelius and his friends. Or later in the, in the house of Lydia. We also see them minister to individuals. We see the certain <coughs> lame man in chapter 3 be ministered to and accept Jesus Christ. Or the Ethiopian eunuch in chapter 8. All kinds, all sorts Diversities of races, diversities of backgrounds, different sizes of crowds. There was nothing off limits, but they went. And just like the apostles, we ought to go. And some will receive the gospel and some will not. And we ought not pitch a fit when people don't. We ought to pray. Some will despise us. Some will love us. Some, some people won't know what to think. And all that's okay. All of that's okay. The fruit belongs to God. The labor belongs to the hands of the faithful. And the issue is whether or not we have the faith to go. That's the real issue. And the question is, how does Kaya go? How does Kaya go? I mean, if you've been around any length of time, you should know that we go to people on campuses and into workplaces. We go to colleges, okay, and we focus our attention on people in our school, in our classrooms. And we also focus, for many of us, we focus on young professionals, young adults, people who are just starting their professional career. And we minister to those people. We take the word of God to them. And listen to me, we've got that model down as a concept. But the question is, are we willing to continue to be stretched to make sure that the going is happening and changing as the work changes? So let me say it like this. So our small groups are the hub of our evangelical ministry. That's what they are. Are you with me? Are you still with me? I just got a couple minutes left. Small groups are the hub of our evangelical ministry. This is where we deploy from. Now, you've got to see that when you go to small group every week, every week or every other week, every other week for sure, that our primary objective when we come together is to open God's word that we might be sharpened and encouraged, but also to evangelize those that we, those that we would bring to the group. And we've got to be about that work. And if week after week you recognize that there are not lost people coming into your group, or the testimony is not that, that hey, hey I, guys, I just started studying the Word of God with this guy that I eat lunch with. If that's not the testimony, if, you're not, if you can't say that, so, uh, hey, I'm praying about so-and-so who sits next to me in this class. We have a lot in common. We've been talking. He's a cool dude, and I'm hoping to build a relationship with him. Why? Why? So I can preach the gospel to him. If those aren't the conversations that are taking place in Bible study, there's something seriously the matter with Kaya. 
See, the heart is that Kaya will become a ministry strong enough to support the transition of young adults to the mission field all over our city and all over our world. And so what that means, as, as, as our small groups grow, I'm trusting the Lord, the leaders will be raised up so that we can divide the groups and spread them out to continue the work of reaching Kansas City. And so I'll announce right now, Lisa Cheadle's small group is dividing. And starting this next semester, Lydia Powers will have another group focused on the campus of UMKC. Why? Because souls are precious to the Lord. And we will raise up leaders and we will build them up and we will deploy them. Now listen to me. Over time, as Kaya grows, we are going to be also able to sustain a work outside of ourselves. And there will come a point that people, the leaders will be raised up and they'll be ready to go and be a part of another church plant. I believe that Brookside Bottom is the beginning of a trickle effect that will at some point and someday become a steady stream. And so today, it's Brook going to Boston. But, but two years from now, we'll be listing people who are willing to give up everything to go. And that's the type of ministry that we want to be a part of. And, and, and so here's the beautiful thing. For those of you who are already a part, and you say, yeah, Kaya, me. That's the ministry that I'm a part of. And that stuff, that's the stuff that I want to live. Don't forget it. Pray, prepare, give, go. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. That is our identity. That is who we are. If we lose that identity, we will fail at the work. And we'll fa- Honestly, I believe it will represent a failure of our heart's desire. And as some of you who have maybe only been coming recently, and this is all sounds kind of new to you. You've never heard this vision. It's fresh to you. Maybe it's exciting. Maybe it's confusing. But listen to me. It's the greatest purpose that anyone could ever have. There is no greater work in this world than to do the things that we described today. I mean, what else do you want to do? I want to save the world. What do you want to do? So for those of you who are deciding today that you want to save the world, then we better start calling upon God. We better start calling upon the Lord right now. Worship team, will you come up? We're going to pray. If you need to pray with someone, if you need to grab someone, you know what would be really appropriate? For you to grab a few people from your Bible study and to pray as a Bible study, if you feel so led. But let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Acts and what it has taught us up to Acts chapter 13. Everything that we've learned has been so crucial, so important to who we are. Lord, we pray that your word would continue to mold us and shape us, conform us to your image. God, we, we thank you for what you've preserved in your word. We're so thankful. And Lord, we ask that you would conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, and that we would learn to live the hard life, that we would be willing to suffer and endure and to pursue, and Lord, to wage battle, to fight, to speak truth in places that no one is going to speak truth in. Lord, help us. And Lord, bridle our pride. Help us to recognize that we are nobody 
And Lord, that, that Lord, if we had a part in furthering your word and no one ever remembered our name, that would be just completely fine with us. If we could be just like the saints of old who, who made a way for us to have your word, the ones that we've forgotten, the ones that we don't know, but they bled and they died and they spoke and they went and they prayed. And we have no idea who they are. Lord, if we would be count, counted among that multitude, praise you a holy and precious name. We love you. And we want to serve you. And we call upon you for help that we would never forget who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.